Good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Caroline Hughes, and I help serve a little bit part-time staff work um, and help Jonathan, Ben, and Mira put together what we see every Sunday here, the production of Forefront. Um, I got to share a little bit last week with, um, well, not last week, but a couple of months ago on uh, Hezekiah, so I'm excited to come back and share a little bit more with you today in our identity series. So just to remind everyone, we're in um, a series right now called Identity where we're speaking specifically to our identity of self. And what I want to share with you all today is a little bit of my story and that identity that I discovered um, for myself. So I moved to New York about six years ago. I had um, an internship at Sports Illustrated and a one-bedroom apartment that I shared with a friend of mine in uh, the Upper East Side. And it was all things um, star-eyed, white girl, moose to the city, and I was gung-ho all the way, uh, fresh out of school and just really to get my hands dirty in, in the real world. Um, but I did face a couple of setbacks, um, one being that my parents did not very much encourage my move, not because they are um, a nice little southern um, homestead family, but uh, that there were some concerns from their end that might have um, been a little bit more than just your typical empty nester family not wanting their little girl to grow up. Um, so a little bit more about that is um, at the moment in my life I was dealing with um, some depression, a lot of anxiety, and Isaac touched on shame last week. Um, I was definitely experiencing a lot of that as well. And so they were concerned about me and, um, hold on really fast, let's try it. It's all good. Um... I think, I think it's my shirt. Anyways, um, wait, am I on now? Okay, we'll, we'll do this. <laughs> this will work. Um, so, again, I was dealing with a lot of um, uh, depression and anxiety, and um, one of the ways that I coped with that at that moment was through an eating disorder. I had developed an eating disorder from middle school, um, and it had been with me through high school and all the way through now college and adulthood. Um, and so one of the reasons why I had developed this was I was bullied a little bit as a child, um, not really knowing why, like not really understanding what was wrong with me as to you know, why I didn't quite fit in. I'm still trying to figure that out. My mom likes to say that it was because all the other kids were jealous of me, but that's like what moms say. So I, so I developed this to have some sort of control and, um, and peace of mind in, in some instance, something that I could keep track of um, and make myself feel better. Uh, so also growing up, I was a very earnest church girl, uh, very committed to my faith, very, um, very in the youth groups and the FCAs. Um, and growing up, 
my faith community didn't really talk about like what you do with eating disorders or anything of that matter. They didn't really even talk a lot about bullying. It was kind of, you know, keep fighting the good fight. There will be rewards one day. And I would just cry on my bed at night just being so lonely because I just wanted companionship. Um, so I continued to hide things. I continued to put on this great mask, move forward. I'm in New York. I'm just going to make it happen um, and continue the same cycle that I was doing, which is the definition of insanity. Um, so I performed, um, I was just used to performing and making sure that that's what I had to do to receive love. So after a year of hustle, my career came to a point where I was working with C-level executives on project management. Extremely stressful to say the least and um, my mind just, um, I, I shifted all of my attention to that and it was able, it was another way for me to drown out everything else that was going on or, or the lack of self that I felt or the lack of identity that I was able to accept. So it all came to a forefront though um, on one fateful uh, October 24th, um, 2012. And this is the part of my story where I literally was broken. Um, it was a normal day like any other, and I was at work, and it had been a day from like, you know, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., and I had made plans to meet a friend uh, in Ful at Fulton Street in Lower Manhattan. Uh, and I was at Grand Central at the time, so I decided I was going to take the 6 train downtown instead of the 4-5. Well, for those of you who are aware, the 6 train does not go to the Fulton Street stop. You're supposed to transfer to the 4-5 to get to the Fulton Street stop. Um, I, while I was aware of this, I wasn't very cognizant or present in the moment. So how many of you have missed your stop or gone uptown on downtown train or, you know, just ended up in another borough? Yeah. Yeah, lots of head nods. If you're not nodding your head, you don't own a smartphone, and I want to understand how you're budgeting your money to take so many Ubers. It's, it's you know, it's, um, I was just not a present, again, because another thing to keep in mind, which a lot of people don't know about eating disorders, is when you are under a particular weight, your body is so focused on it pumping your organs that your brain and your... Um, your brain just doesn't fire neutrons as quickly and your, and your decision-making process isn't quite clear. That's a lot of the reasons why people have body dysmorphia when they're in an eating disorder because it's not quite registering with them how they're really seen. It's, it's a literal, it's not, it's not just a mental thing, it's a, a little physical um, function of the way your body is taking care of itself or trying to take care of itself. So anyways, I forgot to transfer on the train, not paying attention. I didn't even hear the conductor. Um, and all of a sudden, all I knew was the doors closed and the sixth train moves forward. And then after a while, the train stops. And we're stopped in a, on a single track in the tunnel. And I look up from my phone and I realize I'm the only one on the train. I had no cell phone service. And then I was like, oh my God, I was supposed to transfer to the other train. I'm stuck in this train. I don't know how long. Because again, 
you know, it's around 9 p.m. at night. The trains move a little bit slower. And also, no one gave me the Southern Girl's Guide to New York City to tell me that the train eventually, and this is your PSA as well, the train eventually loops back around the Brooklyn Bridge City Hall. Did not know this. Was I began to have a panic attack because I thought at that moment that I was going to be there for God knows how long. It was already late in the evening. Um, again, no one was around. And also... The fact that I was an anxious person, there's not a lot, like, my brain isn't quite making decision make, the, the decisions I need to make in that moment. Um, so I decided that I need to leave because if I didn't leave, I was probably going to die in this train. Like, I could have been in a train yard for all I knew because I'd never seen a train yard. I, and I see a lot of parents in the room and your eyes are probably like really big right now. And <laughs> you're probably like, okay, never giving my kid a smartphone on the subway train. It's, it works out, but let me continue. Um, I slipped in between where the two cars are on the train and peeked my head over. And I could see in the near distance an opening. It probably was some kind of, you know, a door or a platform. I don't know because all I knew was I had to get out and that was step one and then I'll figure out step two after the fact. So I could not walk alongside the train but I knew I had to get out of the train. So I decided to climb on top of the train, peek my head over and I began to crawl like to see what was on the other side and because I was convinced that the train wasn't going to move this seemed rational. It was, it's completely irrational as you're listening to it and as I rehashed the story. But as I was on top of the train, the, tra the train did begin to move. Um, and it began to move through the tunnel slowly at first and I started to try and back, back down as quickly as I could but something on top of the train tunnel hit my head, knocked me off of the train, onto my back, onto a track. I'll pause there for a moment. Um, crazy, but it really did happen. Um, I was knocked out for the moment on the track. Couldn't breathe, couldn't see. Um, after a little bit of time, I don't know how long, probably not very long, My, um, I started to get light back into my eyes. Uh, I stood up and I... At this moment, the train had moved to where there was like four tracks. Got up, walked over the four tracks. There was an abandoned platform. Pulled myself onto the platform um, and laid there. Um, and thank God, a conductor came or saw me as he was pulling his train around on the other side on the platform. So I, he stops. He's like, are you insane? What are you doing in here? Are you playing around? Like, duh, 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 duh. I couldn't even. All I knew was I had a gash in my head. My adrenaline was still really pumping, so I didn't really feel the full extent of the injuries that my body had sustained at that moment. All I said was, look, just call for help. So he called the EMT. They had to pick them up at Brooklyn Bridge City Hall bring them back down to where I was, put me on a stretcher. I started to seize at this moment and they did knock me out, um, take me back where I was transported to Bellevue. Um, and I was, uh, I have no memory of the next 24 hours of my life. 
I do know that my family flew up from South Carolina. My mom still tells me today that it's hard for her to go to choir practice on Wednesday nights because that's where she was when she received the call. Um, and they told my family that I had broken my L4 and my L5 vertebrae and um, that I need a spinal fusion surgery, which involves getting two rods and 11 screws in your back. Sorry for those who are squeamish. Um, I still have those in my body today. Um, anyways, um, I sustained some other like, pretty massive injuries. They thought that I was probably electrocuted because I had exit wounds from my body. Um, I was also evaluated by the psychiatric doctors because they thought that this was an attempt of suicide of some sort. Um, but they eventually, you know, figured out pretty quickly that I did have an eating disorder and there was heightened sensitivity around my surgery because, again, there wasn't enough muscle or skin on my back to, like, mend the wound. So they had to take extra precautions uh, with that. Another thing to note, um, and and... I went through the surgery. The surgery went well. Uh, Bellevue was did not want me to begin walking at this moment because um, because they were c concerned about my hip being broken possibly as well. But another thing to note is that in October 2012, Hurricane Sandy hit New York. So I was in Bellevue when Hurricane Sandy hit. The floor where I had my surgery was flooded the next two days. Had I not had my surgery on that Friday, then I would not have had my surgery for a while, much further into the future. Um, anyways, I was in Bellevue. I was eventually evacuated to Roosevelt, where I received a second opinion about how to foresee the rest of my recovery. Um, and I was able to go home to South Carolina at that moment. Now, all of that's to say is, uh, wow. But also, um, I still held on to my eating disorder. Um, God had brought me through something crazy incredible, and I still could not trust him enough for this one aspect of my life. I was 23 years old and 90 pounds, and I still needed this drug to, um, to like get me through the day. It, it had become my confidant and friend for many, many years. Um, it was the one thing I got right, and if any of you work with people who are drug addicts or have had some kind of experience with it in your past, you know that the more you consume a drug, the more you need it. And it was my normal. Um, so, also, again, my faith culture taught me that disease and um, taking care of self um, was we, we need to take care of others, right? We need to take care of others. Your eating disorder, I was told my eating disorder was a sin, and so I need to get out of my life. Just keep praying, it can get out of your life. So I kept praying, but I could not get it out of my life. I kept pulling it back in because it was this like ideal of perfection that I was working towards, um, and I just denied the whole fact that I was ultimately punishing myself. You know, my parents would cry to me every meal, just like, have a little bit more. I never made my, there's there's different types of eating disorders, but I, I still ate, I just ate very little. Um, and, you know, I still dealt with this view of my body and like, why couldn't God give me the strength 
to get over this? Did he not love me enough? Was I, was I still so sinful and unworthy enough in this disease? Um, so I asked myself these questions, but looking back, you know, was it the belief that I was sinful that was ultimately holding me back? So I asked the question earlier, you know, when's the last time you felt stressed? Um, how many of you ever feel pressure? Either you put it on yourself or you figure or you interpret it from a pressure that someone else is putting on you um, that may not even be there, but a lot of times, you know, work gives you pressure. Um, we place expectations on ourselves a lot of times based on what we interpret others, um, others are viewing us. And I think sometimes we take that lens and we apply it to God, right? So we put this pressure on ourselves from him that may not really be there. So we read the verse, Jeremiah 18.4, earlier. And I want to read it again, but I want to maybe talk through this verse and the context of it a little bit more. Um, when I would read this verse, I interpreted this again when I was younger as, oh, I'm not quite the, the good enough pot yet, but after I endure some pain and some loneliness and what, whatever it may be for you, then I will be this great little pot for God. Um, but let's, let's read it again. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands, so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as best seemed to him. As best seemed to God. Well, maybe I don't like what's best seemed to God. You know, it's, it's kind of scary to look at it from that perspective. But one thing that I've learned about scripture is it's a lot about the context that is more enlightening than the actual scripture itself. I'm kind of a Bible nerd. I've learned how to look up Hebrew and, um, and Greek words in lexicons and concordances. So I took a deeper look at some of these key words in this verse. So when we read another pot, um, we could interpret it like not righteous enough. Um, but when we take a look at the Hebrew language, the words literally mean return back. And when we read the section where it says shaping it as seem best to him, seem best can be retranslated into esteemed. And we use the word esteemed when we're talking about people of honor. So let's reread it through that different lens. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter returned the pot back to its desired design shaping it into an esteemed and honorable vessel for him. God is a creator. We are all creators because we are creations of him. And no creator ever sets out to do work that is going to be interpreted as less than. Similarly, as his creation, we are not less than. I think it's a matter of taking off our human filter and accepting more of what he actually intended for us. Julia Cameron, um, author of The Artist's Way, which is a great book for anyone who thinks they are an artist or, or thinks they are not an artist, uh, reads, or she writes, We decide how powerful God is for us. We unconsciously set a limit 
on how much God can give us or help us. We are stingy with ourselves. And if we receive a gift beyond our, our imagining, we often send it back. So see, he's bringing us back to our state of origin, our true state of identity that he intended all along. His objective in all areas is to bring shalom. And so even more importantly, his objective with us is that we have peace within ourselves, our shell of our body that our soul is placed in. So, you know, again, we deal with all aspects of shame in our life, and I dealt with a lot, um, but I don't think I was able to fully process uh, my healing until I was able to see myself as valued by God. Flashback to December 2012, I was at home, and I was considering moving back to New York once I got better. I mean, like my back was better, not that my eating disorder was better. Um, and I get a phone call from a friend. I had no idea that she knew I had an eating disorder, but everybody knew I had an eating disorder. It wasn't like I was hiding it from anyone. Um, but she never talked to me about it before. And she called me and she said, look, you are unemployed right now. You are still on insurance. You need to go and take this time to get help because who knows when you would have this opportunity again. So I listened to her and I went to, as I affectionately refer to it as eating disorder camp, which is a whole nother story in and of itself. Um, I went and I got better. And as my body put on more weight, my mind functioned better, and I was able to begin to see clearly that my rules that I had put in place to make me feel better, although, they, although I might not have at the time accepted that they were killing me, they were killing my family. And I saw the true hurt that I was bringing to my family and the people around me, and I was so saddened that that was a burden that I was putting on my loved ones who loved me and cared for me so much. So it almost took me experiencing near death to realize that I was dying. I was dying inside with this view that I had of myself. And it took me seeing that, um, you know, if God sees me as esteemed, then maybe it was time to live out the fact that I am loved and esteemed. Not perfection, but progress. Uh, and how am I doing now? Well, I'm not perfect, and I struggle a lot, and it's a daily thing with, I mean, anyone who's an addict, but I try better, and honestly, the scar on my back reminds me of how my body mended itself and what an incredible gift my body is. I um, do a little bit of um, some fitness and training on the side, and being in that environment every day reminds me of how incredible our bodies are designed and made to be. So I guess what I really wanted to leave you with today is maybe it's not so much about the sin. Um, God doesn't care about that. What he cares about is that we flourish. And in order to flourish, we have to see ourselves internally and externally as he planned for us too, which was esteemed, which is esteemed and redeemed. Thank you.